we can goof off and do whatever we want to do, and then I'll give like a quick. <laughs> then you'll edit it. I'll edit it. Shut up. I'm here for it. That is the voice of Cyrus Valentine, a Seattle-based organizer, activist, writer, poet, and artist who recently published an article in Grist's online publication Fix about a farm within city limits that's bringing people together in a remarkable way. The Yes Farm is the subject for our first case study episode, but you should also know that Cyrus is also the co-chair and youth representative for the Seattle Green New Deal Oversight Board, a committee that reviews policies put forward by the mayor and city council and makes recommendations to ensure Seattle reduces their carbon emissions to zero by 2030. They're so good at this that they recently got nominated for this year's C40 Cities Climate Awards for setting the standard for how cities can approach climate action. So be on the lookout to see who wins in October. In this episode of Homekeepers, we learned what an inspiring model the Yes Farm is, and with the insight of Cyrus's policy experience, the mindset you can use to bring good things like it into your own community. If an episode ever inspires you to get a project off the ground, please let me know in a DM on Instagram. I'd love to hear about it. Y'all have already sent me some incredible feedback, and it makes me so happy to know that you enjoy the show and are getting things out of it. Finally, if you like Homekeepers, it helps to leave a rating and review on whatever app you're using to listen. I'll start reading my favorite new review during the introduction to each episode once we have some on the board, so feel free to make it as entertaining as possible. Thank you for supporting the show, supporting each other, and being a homekeeper. We're really building a community together. Now, without further ado, please give a little round of applause from wherever you're listening today for Cyrus Valentine. There are two things that excite me today. And one is great, and one is not quite as great. Um, which <laughs> one do you want to hear first? Um, let's go with the not quite as great so we can end on a high note. Alrighty, The not quite as great news is a team of environmental scientists found that rainwater is no longer safe to drink anywhere on Earth. Well, so that one is about PFAs, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember that one coming out, and I was like, this is terrifying. But also, and good news related to that, scientists also figured out a way to make it so PFAs could get eliminated, so they're not forever chemicals. Yes! Y'all, this is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. Oh, my gosh. We'll have to link both of those notes in the show description so you guys can see that unfold. That PFA one. Um, PFAs are a, a type of toxic chemical that all kinds of random things that we humans like make non-stick have. cookware i'm pretty sure is pfa yeah it's non-stick cookware some of them like shampoos really sometimes can shampoo? have, <laughs> yeah like terrible. random body products like great there's a lot it's in a lot of stuff um and the gist the gist of the article is that like once it eventually you know you throw out a dish and it like erodes over time or something yeah. or you like dump shampoo somewhere or whatever and those those chemicals leak into water and then yeah. the water gets into the water cycle and then it starts getting tossed around and with a lot of other things you might think like oh it goes away but because they last for so long and are so hard to break down Mm -hmm. they don't ever really become dormant i was actually reading in the initial publication yeah that when they get to the ocean which is where a lot of really hazardous chemicals always end up dissipate yeah Yeah. but you'd think that in like smaller concentrations it Mm -hmm. would eventually like the ocean is so massive that it would get down to a low enough level but the weird thing is that like ocean spray actually will 
huck it up into the air and it'll drift back to shore and get back into like main water supplies before it has a chance to really fizzle out wow um so yeah that's why they're called forever chemicals as you know but you listening might not know is because they kind of never go away and the study came out that said all rainwater everywhere even in like antarctica yeah wasn't safe to drink based on pretty much every country's guidelines wow i mean that's an over exaggeration i think they they checked like several european countries yeah u.s guidelines and stuff but wow but you're saying that's horrifying um but yeah i necessarily i mean that is still the case like that report is still accurate however a group of scientists were able to devise a method that can break down forever chemicals. That's awesome. Um, but it hasn't been like commercialized or anything yet. So it's not sure. like broadly applied anywhere yet. Um, but it is something that is out there that can now make it so that hopefully in the long term, that won't be a problem anymore. Ooh, let's go. The founder of Patagonia, Yvonne Chouinard, just gave away his entire company. Mm. And... All of the profits are forever going to be dedicated to these two separate entities that are basically guaranteed to ensure they're used for planet-saving nice. activities, which is sick. That's so dope. At so Bill Gates. If you're a billionaire listening to this that says you want to do good for the world and have enough to get by, at Elon feel free Musk. to give the rest away. <laughs> At Jeff Bezos. Because Yvonne Chouinard just did that, and he's making you look bad. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I think it's a really legendary goal for the American capitalist, frankly. To just give away their wealth. like just yeah. I mean, that's a huge flex. It's a massive flex. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even need this anymore. Homie drives like a beat-up Subaru. Oh, he really he does? Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> Holding on to immense wealth seems like clutching a pacifier oh yeah i'm impressed by people that are able to accrue capital and use it in an effective way i'm even more impressed by people that are able to be effective without capital and fulfilled without it yeah like that is that that that's what we should all aspire to killer yeah patagonia ceo just set an incredible example really really exciting we'll link the article down to that in the show description too but now we're going to talk about urban farms you also write very, very frequently and have had a recent article published in Fix, yeah. which is Grist's online publication, Yep, specifically about a farm here in Seattle. Yeah, the Yes Farm. Uh, so Yes Farm is uh, run and organized entirely by the Black Farmers Collective here in Seattle, which is an organization that really focuses on how to get more agricultural land in the hands of black farmers in Seattle. Because right now, actually, I didn't talk about this in the article explicitly, but black farmers have 2% of all agricultural land holdings right now in the nation. So super low. I mean, we make up a little over 13% of America's population, but only hold 2% of agricultural lands. And that's down from, I think it was close to like 10 or 15% in the 1900s. Really? Um, Yeah, it's fucking crazy. So they are, can I swear? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I have no yeah, idea dude. what you're what the people swear. Okay. Um we can swear. But yeah, so what they do is basically do a bunch of different organizing around Seattle and King County to try to get the hands land in the hands of black farmers and also provide different programming that educates black folks and other communities of color on how to go about growing their own food and whatnot. And so Yes Farm is one of their ur- is their urban farm based here in Seattle. 
acre and a half down in central Seattle, <laughs> right next to I-5 on what's called Yesler Terrace, uh, which is a historically black and Asian part of the city. Can you paint a picture of what Yes Farm looks like and feels like upon entry? I mean, you did a beautiful job of doing yeah. it in the article. There's pretty much like a, a dirt path that leads right off the road, right off Yesler Way, through a fenced-off portion down into the farm, where at first it's pretty much just open space, because when Yes Farm frequently hosts different community events and whatnot, like I've gone to a couple of their BIPOC cookouts, they'll also do different community discussions and whatnot. Uh, That area usually has like vendors or different activities taking place like the first time I went there was yoga the second time that I went to one of their cookouts there was like a craft arts station there which was super dope and then so as you're walking past that sort of open portion at the front then there is first a row of different like raised bed gardens that are stewarded by different community members who don't have access to like either backyards or uh, patios or balconies or whatever where they can grow their own food oh so Um, does that mean that like they're like owned by people in the community or they're just like people in the community can use those spots to grow food if they want to the second one so they are still technically owned by yes farm and the black farmers collective but they just let anyone basically have access to them that is like in that's near in the nearby community typically focusing on uh bipoc folks or black indigenous and people of color uh, that again want to grow their own food but can't do it at their own apartment or home for whatever reason Mm -hmm. um and then right beyond that so that's on the right side of the like main path that goes to the center and right beyond those raised bed gardens are a variety of different inter interplanted crops so having multiple types of produce growing together then right beyond that on the other basically on the far side of this row of crops uh, they are growing the three sisters which is a his- like historically indigenous crop and practice of growing corn beans and squash all together on the same plot like square foot of land where those three crops are the three those sisters. three crops are the three sisters um and they're grown together because of the ways that they're different sort of growing style support each other so squash grows kind of slow and close to the ground and its stalks have these like spines on them that keep pests away and then corn grows tall and straight up and pretty fast and so that it provides then support for the bean stalks that then are able to wrap around the corn as that as it grows um and then also their roots grow to different depths and spread so it provides like uh, structure to the soil below it, as well as being, if I remember correctly, is a nitrogen fixer. Hmm. So that means it's introducing these chemicals or this, this element into the soil that's really beneficial for supporting plant growth. So the three the three sisters is something that I first heard about reading Braiding Sweetgrass by Robert yeah. Wall Kimmerer. I feel like that, like your depiction of it <clears throat> or description of it is like just so emblematic of the cooperation present in those three mm-hmm. plants uh, with the the different roles that they're filling and the different things that they're good at and the way that they coexist and uh, co-create a really beautiful supportive environment for yeah. themselves. And it sounds like that in a small way is emblematic of the environment surrounding them mm-hmm. at the Yes Farm. Yeah, You specifically said in the article that a place like the Yes Farm, affords people the chance to deepen their roots in the community, Mm. understand where their food comes from while growing their own, and reconnect with the land. 
And the article linked to the Reconnect the Land part cited traditions from people groups outside the culture of European take-all, saying, yeah. like, these traditions provide more than just livelihoods and belonging. They offer insights for navigating a planet under stress. Mm. That was by Mary Gofar. We're already very much in a stressful time. Yeah. And I think that just from hearing you talk about the Yes Farm and also reading the article, it seems like it provides a space for people under stress to come together mm. and release that not only for yeah. themselves, but also for the land that they call home. Which in a city, I don't know about you, but like I, I have a difficult time thinking of a city as like land that yeah. I live on. But I wonder what that looks like in practice from like a social perspective. Like how, how have you come to see the Yes Farm not only benefit people by providing them food, but also in a social context, what are, what are the many ways that it brings, brings yeah. people joy? So first off, touching on one of the things you just said before the question, in one of the previous issues of Fix, there was an article explicitly actually about someone in New York City, I believe, so like one of the big cities that we really imagine, how they went basically on a nature walk through the city and what mm. they were able to see just staying within city limits. They found a snail while they were on the walk. They saw all these different kinds of plants that they'd never really noticed before. They went to us. They started out at a cemetery actually and were like bird watching in a cemetery, which like obviously we typically don't see those oh, things no going way. together. <laughs> yeah. And they were, they went with a naturalist and they were, that naturalist was able to sort of point out these different things to them that typically they wouldn't have noticed. And, uh, otherwise just would have totally blitzed by as they're like racing from one appointment to the next or trying to meet up with friends or what have you mm -hmm. um so there's definitely and i think we've talked about this before there's, there's always this opportunity within cities to find nature if you're willing to look for it yeah um but one, one of the things that's really special sort of to come back to your question one of the things that's really special about yes farm and other urban farms like it because there's plenty of urban farms in seattle and around the nation actually one of the things that's really special about them is that they offer that dedicated space to really try to reconnect with the land through growing your food and also talking with other folks that care about that and are really interested in it. Um, and I don't know how many other urban farms do this kind of thing, but Yes Farm is very intentional about hosting community events that are really dedicated to bringing folks together towards sort of like uplifting the folks that are volunteering there, trying to tangentially trying to recruit other potential volunteers, but really just like providing this space for folks that otherwise might not have a space where they feel safe and able to connect with their community. Cause like one of the big problems in cities in general, but especially in Seattle is a, there's a big disconnect with people right now, especially mm. post COVID post pandemic mm -hmm. as folks are like coming out of their apartments and being locked away for two years um, trying to find those spaces to really have the chance to like reconnect with folks, build community, rebuild friendships and whatnot. And so Yes Farm provides that space like actively and intentionally. They're actually going to have another cookout in two weeks, in a week and a half, nice. uh, which is exciting. So I'm excited. I'm stoked to go to that again. I'm going to go volunteer again this weekend. And so even outside, outside of the community events that they host during like just regular volunteer days, there's always an opportunity to connect with the other folks that are there with you. It's super great. Like I, even outside of like writing the story that I did about it when I wasn't interviewing folks or whatever, like looking actively for quotes or what have you, I was still just like chatting with the people there and like connecting with them and was able to both volunteer at other sort of like mutual aid events um, and also just hang out with them. And should I explain what mutual aid is? 
Yeah, what what does that mean? So mutual aid is a, a very old concept, actually, but it really became popular again during the pandemic. Um, but mutual aid is the idea of basically communities providing for the community. So trying to use the resources that we have available already within our neighborhoods and networks to meet the needs of the people around us. I mean, Yes Farm itself is like a mutual aid organization in that they are using land within the city to grow food that then is given to community members that don't have access to clean to like affordable healthy food mm-hmm. um but the, the another the organization that we went we went and volunteered with back in august uh was called egg rolls where a vegetarian like vietnamese restaurant in the international district of seattle every sunday they basically make a whole bunch of obviously egg rolls and then a bunch of other food that they then give out to for free to folks in the area who don't have access to for food. And it's no all way. run by volunteers um, that then basically come together to bring also there's the food aspect of it. And then on top of that, volunteers and other folks in the community will donate different clothing items, different toiletries, basic necessities so that folks who don't have access to those can come through and like get clothing or get deodorant or toothpaste or condoms or what have you. Um, So yeah, that's really what mutual aid is about is about using what we have to meet each other's needs. And I think that yes, farm specifically does a great, great job of tackling food for people and community gardens in general and urban farms in general do a spectacular job of of that and also Absolutely. demonstrating the social structure that might um that can then bleed out into everyday life like when you yeah. leave the farm if you're regularly taking care of plants and like checking in on other people then you'll yeah. start taking care of the community around you beyond Absolutely. that do you have any recommendations for someone that might want to get something like this started like what could a mm. what could the process of starting a community garden look like for someone that wants to bring that into into their community yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot, actually, lately. Not even just lately, for a while, because I really want... Because, like, at least in front of my apartment and in front of a lot of apartments in Seattle and nationally, there's usually just, like, plots of grass that are yeah. just, like, not really tended by anyone. I mean, technically, they're tended by whoever owns the apartment, but there's not much going on there other than just, like, a sort of waste of space. Mm-hmm. Um so the, like, spot between the sidewalk and yeah, the road. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, like, that quote-unquote easement, I think, is what it's typically referred to as. Um, and, I mean, the other people have done this as well. Like, oh, I wish I could remember his name. Um, there's a guy who's, like, a guerrilla gardener in L.A. who did this, where he basically took that easement, that stretch of, that patch of grass between the sidewalk and the road, and turned it into a garden. And just oh, started cool. planting, like, I mean, he planted sunflowers, but then planted a, a variety of vegetable plants basically so that he could like grow his own food since he didn't have space technically attached to his apartment or what have you but he he was like you know what that's there why not use it Mm -hmm. Um, so i've been thinking about that what that could look like here a lot and i mean the biggest sort of barrier to overcome for doing that is just getting the other people around you together and interested in executing something like that so having conversation with your neighbors the folks that live across the hall or upstairs or what have you um and connecting with them and talking about if that's something they would be interested in because i mean like at least in our apartment I mean, we have balconies and whatnot and folks you can see folks who are growing plants and who are obviously like interested in that kind of thing so it's just about connecting with them and being like hey you want to do a garden out front and then finding that way to do it and so that that's what you can 
I guess if you if you live in an apartment building and you have that patch of grass, that's one approach to take yeah. is just having those kind of conversations with your neighbors if they're interested in doing something like that with you so you don't have to take all of the responsibility on yourself. Because I know with me, that's the biggest thing that's been holding me back is like, uh, I know it would be a lot of work because I mean, growing a garden is a lot of work. It's very rewarding work, but it is it takes a lot of upfront labor and effort into it. But if you're able then to connect with other people who are interested in that same thing and distribute the load across multiple folks, then it's a lot less taxing. It doesn't feel as daunting. And then you're also able to connect better with your neighbors and the folks around you, which has mm-hmm. its own ancillary benefits, additional benefits. And what a great way to start or end the day. Right. To, you know, you like come back, check out your plot, like see Greg over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, man? How are you? Just like tending sunflowers and stuff. Yeah. And then there'll be like little ladybugs crawling around. It's always a joy. Yeah. Um, So that's something, again, if you have, that's for if you have that plot of land and you live in an apartment there. Um, But outside of that, like one of the things that the Black Farmers Collective did, and there's another organization here based in the Seattle area in Kent, Washington, called the Living Well Kent Collaborative that's working on the same sort of goal as the Black Farmers Collective about how do we get land in the hands of black farmers. But one of the things that they're working on is like working with the county to identify basically vacant plots of land that would be potential sites for community gardens. And then thinking about how the the organization then has to think about how to strategically convince the county to give that organization that plot of land. And it typically takes a lot of community organizing, like sending letters, attending council meetings, and getting involved in those ways to demonstrate why this is, like one, why this is important, and two, there's an actual like community need and desire for that. Mm -hmm. Because even if a city or a county has a vacant plot of land and understands why it would be beneficial to give it to a community organization. They're not going to do it unless the community actively like asks for it. Yeah. Um, and so it takes that organizing of, of meeting your neighbors, of meeting different people on the street in the area that might be interested in doing that same sort of thing and getting together with them to really like rally uh, a campaign, if you will, to convince the county, the city or whatever governing body owns that plot of land that's vacant and convincing them to hand it over to this hand it over to community control yeah because some like i mean community boards are there to fulfill the requests of the community exactly and that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and can be very scatterbrained yeah even though there is like a bureaucratic process and everything you know people are stressed and they've got a lot on their plate generally and so they won't ask if a neighborhood wants a community garden yeah but if the neighborhood puts it on their docket, they'll generally fulfill that. Absolutely. If they have the funds available. There's initiative that we can take mm-hmm. to get that sort of thing set up in, yeah. in whatever neighborhood we might live in. Absolutely. And people will generally be stoked to fulfill it. Usually. Especially it, with a guard. I mean, like farms and things like that are just so, so positive. Yeah, they're so <laughs> There's beneficial. There's no downside. And even because you mentioned like whether or not they have the funds for it. In a lot of cases, the city doesn't even need to have like funding or anything. They just need to like hand it over. And sometimes they do need funding or uh, don't need, but will want to have funding attached so that whatever organization they're handing it to, they know that there's a higher chance of success if they're attaching funding to it. Like the Black Farmers Collective, when they got the parcel of land attached to 
or that is now Yes Farm, they were able to get funding through Seattle's Environmental Justice Fund to help them start that garden and got it for two years in a row and have since gotten like other sources of grant funding from the city as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, before you and I met, I did a, uh, a campaign alongside my community and the nonprofit Seed Money to like raise funds to mm. get people to start gardens in different nice. places around the country. And through doing that, learned that it only takes on average about a thousand dollars to get if you have the That's land, so if the land is there, yeah, and people are willing to volunteer yeah. and take care of it themselves, which usually they are because Absolutely. it's like a hobby thing for most people, yeah. or the time that they would spend going to the produce section, they spend there because it's more fulfilling to them for sure. When you talk about like making a couple raised beds, buying soil, and mm-hmm. getting tools that you'll replace like once every couple of years yeah. if you maintain them well. It only takes about a grand to start a good garden. Nice. Um, and usually communities will throw in a lot more than that yeah. to like outfit even more. But if you're trying to talk like bare bones, like for you sure. can do a, a small one that's really beneficial for not that much money. Nice. I wasn't even thinking about that. The fact that like a budget is like not super necessary. No. <laughs> it's really just approval. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. Oh, one other benefit that I think is really, really special about the farms is the education opportunities that it provides for everyone, but especially children. Yeah. Like especially kids in the community to understand not only the hard work that it takes to create food and Mm -hmm. how healthy food takes a lot of intention and effort, but also the kind of like codependent relationships that we have with everything around us. Um, just by seeing that exemplified in the plants and the yeah. animals and the insects. Absolutely. I'm going to sort of uh, append your statement. Yeah. And that use codependent, which obviously like is a term <laughs> that has sometimes you are usually negative con- connotations with it. Mm, that's so fair. I would say interdependent relationships. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. That's a good append. I want to try to end these episodes in a way that it's like gives take action. people an option to help if they yeah. want to. I mean, there's obviously the the opportunity to, if you're interested in this, you can start your own garden, you can start your own farm. Come to like, Seattle, volunteer Yes Farm. Come volunteer at <laughs> Yes Farm, yeah. You can like check things like volunteer at a farm near you. Yeah. Um, and then if you have funds that you want to like throw at something that's doing good work. For sure. Black Farmers Collective is a great option. Absolutely phenomenal option. So you can go to blackfarmerscollective.com, I'm pretty sure. Or is it .org? Let me double check. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, I actually, I'm pretty sure it's dot. Oh, no, it is .com. Okay, I was right. I was right. Dot it's dot .com. <laughs> Could you imagine? But yeah, I would definitely recommend going to blackfarmerscollective.com. Um, all one word. And like donating or seeing about if you're in the Seattle area, seeing about if you might volunteer. They have a whole calendar at the bottom of their website that lists their different uh, volunteer days and whatnot. So check that out. They have a fucking dope video on there, too. Uh, Amazing pictures of the garden. It's a whole great spot. And then, yeah, if you're not in the Seattle area, I would literally just recommend going on Google, typing in urban farm and your city and probably something will come up. And if something yeah. doesn't come up, then that's a great sign that you should make one. Yeah. Like I, I used to live in Chicago and volunteered at the DePaul Urban Garden when I was yeah. going to school. I feel like other search terms that you guys could use as you're searching is like, like if, it, if we were looking in Chicago, for example, Urban Garden Chicago, Community mm-hmm. Garden Chicago, Urban Farm Chicago. Yeah. Um, 
trying to think if there are any other ones that might. Uh, those are good places to start. Those are good if ones nothing start. comes up under those, you should probably just start your own. Yeah. <laughs> Ask your neighbors and see where a good spot in your neighborhood is to get one going. Absolutely. Well, dude, thank you so much for chatting about this. Yeah, this thanks so for having fun. me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thrilled. If you want to learn more about the Yes Farm, you can read Cyrus's article in Fix called To Feed My Soul, I Went Back to My Roots. This is a spectacular article. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Peace, y'all. Homekeepers is made with the help of down-to-earth people like you. Thanks to Cyrus, the patrons, Alola for making the theme song, and you for listening and striving to make the world a better place. If you want to support, you can do so at patreon.com slash alexharris. That's H-A-R-A-U-S, linked down in the show notes. And just like that, the episode's over. See you in the next one.